Hey everybody and welcome. We are in the final session of this series about making your setbacks your comebacks. And today we are talking about setbacks that come from endings to a flourishing comeback. In just a few minutes, we will look at the story of Abraham and the endings he had and how he approached those. It was Henry Wadsworth Longfellow that said this, Great is the art of the beginning, but greater is the art of ending. Hmm, now think about that for a moment. What is greater about ending something? We want to end things well and timely, and we're going to learn how to do that today. So just take a moment to think about some possible endings that people experience or that you experience. What are some endings? Some of these will be natural endings that we experience through our lifetime. It could, you could think of the last day of school or college graduation, high school graduation, the end of certain decades or certain periods of a child's life when a baby was a baby, at the end of the baby days and the toddler days and the teen years. Uh, divorce and death or the end of a relationship, uh, the last day to purchase tickets for something. How about that? Uh, how about a teenager leaving for home? How about the end of a sale? <laughs> we never like to see those days come. How about this one? I've experienced this one, an adult child moving away to a new city. And uh, other endings that you may come up with. We have lots of endings. Some endings are natural some are necessary. There are some endings that are harder to accept than others. It is just hard often to leave the familiar behind. Or do you say, oh, it's the end of that? Good riddance. <laughs> you know, that could be our approach to endings as well. well. What is the most difficult aspect of facing a necessary ending? <coughs> Think about that for just a moment. Well, I want you to think about this also. What do beginnings and endings have in common? Think about that. They have a lot in common. They are both times of transition, of uncertainty, sometimes chaos. Uh, they often evoke strong emotions like anxiety or rejection or about curiosity or excitement or anticipation or it could be fear or sometimes anger and loss. Above all, the way we have experienced beginnings and endings earlier in our lives will influence the way we anticipate and experience endings in our later lives also. Well, the calendar provides us a lot of cycles of the endings and the beginnings. Think about it. The sun rises and the sun sets. One day ends and another begins. The tide rises, and say it with me, the tide falls. One year ends and another begins. Well, see, one season just starts the beginning of another. In fact, as I am... Uh, doing this podcast today, it is the last day of summer, and tomorrow is the first day of fall. That's an ending and a beginning. Now, some of you are saying good riddance on that one, aren't you, when <laughs> you're tired of the heat and the humidity, and others are saying, no, I love those lazy, hazy days of summer. 
Um, but that the cycle of nature is one of natural endings and beginnings. Well, with each ending comes hope. It's a hope to start over, to have something new and fresh. So if something doesn't go, one season ends and another begins. Life is a cycle. Well, with each ending, we get to reflect and revise so that the next beginning will be an improvement. So every beginning offers hope and opportunity and a potential for something new and better. Well, as we come to the necessary endings in life, we have an opportunity to become filled with hope. We can look at endings as this opportunity to become more creative and more productive and more fulfilled. Often that requires a mindset shift. Often beginnings can't really happen until we have actually left the old behind. Sometimes we have to let go and move on from the familiar in order to embrace all that God has for us. You know, I, I remember when I accepted the position as director of education at Christ Church, where I am serving now and um, have been for the last, oh, maybe 15 or 16 years, I was on this new adventure. I had no experience in paid church work. Um, I had done at the time some innovative things in the public school arena, and that's what caught the attention of our pastor. And so I said yes and went off on this adventure. Um, and here's what I learned, that even though God had used me in a school setting for over 25 years, he was not through taking me to school. He was leading me to an ending so that I could have a beginning. He wanted me to learn how to actually apply the things that I had used in a public school setting in a new setting, in a church setting. And I found that the things he had gifted me with could transfer to a lot of applications. He did not just take me out of my personality and gifts and skills and talents and make me into a new person. He used what he had already given me in a new setting. Well, sometimes we need to let go and move on from something that's familiar in order to embrace all God has for us. I think about those early settlers in America and all the things they left behind, all the things they ended in order to move here to America. I think about the disciples that Jesus called and how they had to leave behind everything they knew, their homes, their jobs, their, their families, to follow Jesus. And Jesus told those disciples that they needed to leave the past behind in order to follow him. He, he said to a crowd, we read this in Luke 9, 23, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways Take up your cross daily and follow me. Well, they accepted the necessary ending of the life they had known in order to follow Christ. This necessary ending allowed them to take hold of the new beginning as a disciple of Christ. From the beginning of our faith heritage, God has called on people to leave their past behind and trust him to live forward. We're going to take a dive now into some necessary endings that Abraham experienced in his journey of faith. 
We read in Genesis 12, verses 1 through 3, that Abraham received a calling from the Lord. And he was to leave his home, his country, his family, everything that was familiar to him, and go to an unknown destination. How about that for an ending and a beginning? Leave everything behind and move on. So, he did it. And he took his wife, Sarah, and his nephew, Lot, with him. And along with their servants and possessions, he moved on. Now, it is just mind-boggling to imagine uh, leaving all that was familiar to him. Um, it w- he, he was uh, in the Ur of the Chaldees, is what it's called. And that was his original home. And he left one of the greatest cities in the ancient world to go to a place called Haran. And by the way, he was 75 years old. <laughs> and he packed up all his wealth, his livestock, and all the people he had in his household. And he headed um, into the land of Canaan. Abraham obeyed God, and God promised to bless him for his obedience. Well, this call was the beginning of a faith journey for Abraham, and it required an ending. And that is not all. It required many other endings. We read in Genesis 13 that Abraham faced a necessary ending in a relationship and that was with his nephew Lot that he had taken and, and traveled with him, brought Lot along, and they had been very close. And Lot was also very wealthy, and he, he was traveling right alongside Abraham. But what they discovered is when they found their new home, they realized the land could not support all of the livestock and all of Abram's servants and all of Lot's servants. And so... All of these servants got in arguments over grazing areas for their large herds of livestock. You, you can imagine how that sounded. No, you, you can't go grazing over there. I've got my livestock here, and oh, you can send 10 or 100 or 20, but not all of those. Can you just imagine? Well, it became hostile territory. They could have pulled together. They were family. <laughs> And they could have pulled together, but they let petty jealousy tear them apart. Uh, These two godly groups (laughs) were bickering. Imagine that. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Have we experienced that or what Uh, in in religions forever? Abraham knew he was facing this conflict with his nephew, and so he took the initiative to settle the dispute. That's a key. When we're ending something, taking the initiative. And in what we can call the wisdom of Solomon method of decision making, he gave Lot first choice about where to move. Now, Abraham, he was called Abram then, was the elder and he could have had first choice. But that's not what happened. Abram let Lot make the decision. Well, Lot chose the land of the plain of Jordan. Now, it was near Sodom and Gomorrah, and he chose it because it had a very rich pasture land there. Abraham went on to settle in Hebron. 
And so he got a lesser quality of land. But he let Lot pick first, and Abraham abided by it. But here is what I love about the way God works. Let's see what he did in Abraham's life. See, this ending for Abraham, another ending of where he lived, led to a beautiful promise and a beginning. And we read this in Genesis 13, verse 18, verse, I'm sorry, 8 says, Finally, Abram said to Lot, Let's not allow this conflict to come between us or our herdsmen. After all, we are close relatives. The whole countryside is open to you. Take your choice of any section of the land you want, and we will separate uh, if you want the land to the left, then I'll take the land to the right. If you prefer the land on the right, then I'll go left. So that was the process he used to uh, settle the dispute. That's not the, the great blessing. I thought that was coming up, but it's not. I'll be sharing that in just a second. Let's look at this process of the necessary ending. And what Abraham did. Number one, he took the initiative to resolve the conflict. He said, we have a problem here, and I need to be the person that helps resolve it, and he did it. He did it, and he didn't just stay stuck. The second thing he did was he let the other person, Lot, make a choice, and he let him have first choice. That is really hard to do in decision-making. And number three, he put family peace above his personal desires. He wanted to protect the family. So we learn a lot about Abram's character through this. He, he was selfless. He looked to the greater good, and he focused on peace. But we learn a lot about Lot's character too, don't we? He took the best share of the land, even though it meant living near Sodom, and that was a city known for its sin. He was greedy. He wanted the best for himself, and he didn't think about his uncle's needs or even what was fair. So uh, we see that about character when there needs to be an ending. We want to end things well and not poorly. Well, now, here's where the beautiful blessing comes in. After Lot left, God spoke to Abram, and he ha had this special promise for him, a blessing. And that is found in Genesis 13, verses 14 through 18. After Lot had gone, the Lord said to Abram, Look as far as you can see in every direction, north and south and east and west. I am giving all this land as far as you can see to you and your descendants as a permanent possession. And he said, there is more. <laughs> I will give you so many descendants that like the dust of the earth, they cannot be counted. Go and walk through the land in every direction, for I am giving it to you. So Abram moved his camp to Hebron and settled near the oak grove belonging to Mamre. There he built an altar to the Lord. Wow, there's a lot in there. God was blessing Abraham in a powerful, big way. He was giving him all the land that he could see. And he was going to let his descendants have it forever. And more than that, he was going to have so many descendants, he could not even count them. Wow, as promised, 
God blessed Abram for his faithfulness. And notice the response because we are always, we always have a choice about our response. And look at what Abram chose to do. He built an altar to God. See, Abram chose to worship God. Now, he was faithful to God, wasn't he? Well, let's get the other part of this story. Years later, Lot was still living in Sodom, enjoying wealth and recognition in the city. But he was first warned by some angels that this city was going to be destroyed, and he was told to take his wife and family out of the city. Lot hesitated in his decision-making. See, he wasn't proactive like Abram had been. Lot had lived so long among ungodly people that he was no longer a, a believable witness for God. He allowed the work environment to shape him rather than him shaping his environment. Lot had compromised his beliefs. He didn't want to believe that an ending was the best thing for his life. God even provided him a warning and he, he wanted him to take, be proactive and to be obedient. God wanted Lot to end his life in Sodom so that he could experience the blessings of a godly life. But Lot chose to argue with the angel. And here's what he said. I can't leave my home and go to the mountain. Wow. Do you know that even then Abram intervened and begged God to spare Lot? So God allowed Lot to go to a little village unwillingly to keep moving forward though this wasn't this wasn't enough lot's wife looked back and she too was destroyed whoa you know bad choices end in bad ways don't they lot's wife was not willing to let go of the past in order to move forward to god well that's not the end of bad endings for this family. See, in the sequel to this story, we see the ramifications of poor decision-making and how it affected future generations. Lot's daughters had been so influenced by the culture that they even stooped to sleeping with their father in order to become pregnant. And their children were named Moab and Ben-Ami, and they became the fathers of two of Israel's greatest enemies. That would be the Ammonites and the Moabites, enemies of Israel. See, there is a price for bad endings. Well, Abraham and Lot's story reveals how God can call anyone to accomplish great purposes. And the, this lesson from them shows that God calls us to, to necessary endings so that he can do a good work with us and through us. We can learn the results of our own decision-making. See, we can see how our decisions affect us and our families and our friends and our circumstances for many years. And we see the results of both wise and foolish decisions, just as we saw in the Abraham and Lot stories. Proverbs 14, 12 says this, There is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, it leads to death. Mm. Are there any necessary endings that God may be nudging you toward? You know, our lives have seasons and stages and phases. 
Infants become toddlers who become school-aged children, who become teenagers, who become young adults, who become middle-aged people, and who become senior adults. And we end one phase in order to begin another. Some endings are natural, and some are necessary. Sometimes we hold on too long to something that must end. We see it in every aspect of our life, businesses that have to let go of like our favorite products at a certain time. And, and they have to end that product because it's not viable anymore. Church leaders have to often end good ideas or involvements from, from the past that aren't viable anymore. And individuals need to let go of certain relationships or practices to create something that is sustainable for the future. And sometimes organizations have to let employers, employees go. It, we just see it everywhere. Often it is necessary to end things. 1 Corinthians 13, 11 puts it this way. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child, and when I became a man, I put away, I put the ways of childhood behind me. See, that verse tells us that there are seasons in our lives where we must change. We must put the past behind us. This verse refers to childish things that we need to leave behind. What could those be? Could that mean immature attitudes and behavior or selfish desires or pettiness or temper tantrums? See, the idea is that as we grow in our faith, we shed the childish ways. We leave them behind. Well, let's look at what that means uh, to have this childish faith, actually. See, childish faith is focused on self. That's what children are focused on, their immediate needs being met, having their way. Uh, they're certain the world revolves around them, and they expect that. But in our faith journey and in our mature life, um, if we have a childish faith, we're going to start thinking that God's just going to exist to fix everything in my life, and when he doesn't, I don't like him anymore. A childish faith expects God to, to make the rough places smooth all the time and just take all adversity out of life. And a childish faith doesn't want to hear about maturing and growing through pain and suffering and learning lessons in life. But a mature faith, when we leave behind those childish things, maturity means that we have come to understand that life is not all about us and finding fulfillment and having every single need met every minute. It's all about God and honoring him and, and bringing glory to him. And then having that childish faith is inconsistent. Another childish trait is this tendency of children to run on their emotions. And when things are going their way, they are really happy. And when they are not happy with what's happening, they let you know when there are tears and complaints and temper tantrums. That's something that we can end. In the same way, this childish faith is rooted in emotionalism instead of being rooted in the truth. And that means we run hot and cold in our faith. Uh, emotions are really good, and God gave us those. But if our faith is based on our emotions, it is a childish faith. Mature people, mature, people with a mature faith, 
are not just emotionally driven, but we see that we are steady and consistent and growing. Mature Christians don't just take the milk of babes, but their faith is, is, is gained by getting into the meat of the word. And, and those who have a, a mature faith and are developing in their journey have a dedicated time with the Lord, praying and worshiping him. And here's another thing about, about childishness and childish faith. It does not persevere. You know, immature people and those with a childish faith are characterized by getting easily discouraged and giving up quickly. They're the ones who volunteer to help, but when push comes to shove, you can't find them anywhere. They're always too busy. They forget, and something better comes along. But the Bible says that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful, and a mature Christian is a faithful, dependable Christian. So we grow in our faith, and we need to figure out what should come to an end are there some endings we need to make that will allow, allow us to grow and blossom in our faith? What needs to end? Maybe excuses, like excuses for not having a devotional time or excuses for, for not doing service for the Lord's work or excuses for not sharing the good things God has done in our life. Or, or not recognizing blessings in life and acknowledging that all good things come from God. What other things might need to end? Could it be a bad habit, a bad attitude, a critical spirit, procrastination, bitterness, a grudge, anger? Could those possibly be the things that need to end in our life so we can have a beginning filled with blessings? Well, how do you know when something needs to end? Let me give you some bullet points for that. One way is to ask this question, is what I am doing immoral, illegal, unethical, or ungodly? If it's any of the four, it needs to end. Is what we're doing or thinking, how we're behaving, preventing us from living in our God-given purpose? If so, it needs to end. Is this something that's keeping us stuck? Is it something that is just not likely to change? And past experience indicates that a positive change is just not likely. Is this something that is, has a hold of us, is draining us instead of energizing us? Well, maybe it needs to end. Is it something that's giving us a false hope? You, know, you keep hoping things will change, hoping things will improve, and if you just focus on the good parts of the situation, then the bad parts won't seem so bad, and, and then we're not seeing the full picture. And so there is probably something that needs to end. And are we just minimizing the negatives and just ignoring them and in denial about them? If so, they need to end. Well, in his book, Necessary Endings, Dr. Henry Cloud says that endings are a necessary part of life. And his key metaphor he uses in this book to illustrate that is from the world of gardening. And he uses this beautiful image of rose bushes. Healthy rose bushes get that way because there's been pruning. 
And he says, this is a pro proactive process to prune. It turns out that a rose, like many plants, can't reach their full potential without the process of pruning. This is intentional, it's purposeful. And here I found it interesting that there are three things that need to uh, get pruned. First of all, there is a healthy bud or a branch, but it's not the best one. Isn't that interesting? It has to go. If it's healthy, but not the best one, it has to go. If it's a sick branch, it has to go. If it's a dead branch, it has to go. Wow. You know, let's, let's put that example into our life and to see if there are things we need to prune because um, we have just limited resources and time and money and energy and talent and emotions that we can give to things. And we have to figure out what needs to be pruned out. And so let's see how this gardener pruning the rose bush is something we can apply to encourage our own growth. First of all, the gardener assesses the rose bush. And the, and the gardener assesses the bush to see which buds are worthy of the limited fuel and support. That has to be, that's what's left. Those things that are worthy of the fuel and the support. Imagine in your own life what things are worthy. You know, are there things you have in abundance that you just don't need? Are there people, circumstances, situations that are just sucking all the fuel out of you and leaving you too dried up to do the things you need to do? Are there activities that, you, that are using up your limited resources, using your limited energy and preventing you from pouring into the things that are worthy? Well, we might need to prune. Prune it, I say. Number two, here's what the gardener does next. The, the gardener monitors the rose bush for the sick and diseased branches. And so he's caring for them or she's caring for them for a while. But at some point, the gardener realizes that no matter how much water, fertilizer, or care, she gives those sick branches, they're not going to thrive. That is a sick branch, and sick branches gotta go. Mm -mm. Are there some unhealthy branches that have somehow gotten attached to you? Are there practices or people or habits that are just not healthy and positive and full of life? Might they need to be pruned so that you can give life to something that will actually bloom? Say no to those and yes to others. And the third thing that this gardener does is the gardener looks for the dead branches because they force healthy ones to bend instead of grow straight. Oh me, the gardener needs to cut away the dead ones, prune them. So is there a relationship or a situation that is affecting the good in you? Sometimes wrong people in wrong circumstances are so diseased that they spread their sickness to other parts of our lives. They begin to kill off the good. They're toxic. And as the dead branch inhibits the straight growth of healthy branches, these unhealthy people and activities and thought processes and behaviors 
cause us to bend to grow in an unnatural way, an unhealthy way? Are you ready to prune those dead weeds and thorns and branches in your life? You know, what are those things that are draining off your resources? Is it a relationship, a habit, some endeavor that's showing signs of sickness? It's just not going well? Is there something in your life already dead, but you have not really recognized its condition? If any of these are true, there are things that need to be pruned in order for you to do, to become healthy, in order for you to have an ending that will result in a flourishing comeback. Well, I want to teach you some ending steps. Let We want to end well. Well, I spoke last week about one of my new favorite books by Dr. Edith um, Evers, and it is called The Choice, Embrace the Possible. She, in this book, shares four questions to ask to help people liberate themselves from victimhood. And I think they will be helpful to us in moving from setbacks to flourishing comebacks. The first one is, what do you want? In coaching clients, I ask this question, where do you want to go? Where do you want to be? And then Dr. Evers does this next, says, who wants it? See, we need to understand our own expectations instead of others' expectations of us. And, of course, I give a caveat to that because our, we want to say who wants it, I want it because God wants it for me. God wants this for me. It is his will for my life. Sometimes this means ending the need for others' approval. Well, the third question she asks is what are you going to do about it? Well, this is the action part of the four questions. It requires action. Here's what she says, anything we practice, we become better at. So if we are practicing anger, we'll have more anger. Practice fear, you'll have more fear. And so she encourages us to do something about what is dead in our lives. And she makes this statement, change is about noticing what's no longer working. In other words, what needs to end and then she goes on and stepping out of the familiar, imprisoning patterns. See, that is what is holding us back. That is what has caused our setback, imprisoning patterns. And then she has the fourth question is, when? When's it going to happen? She says this, if we are to evolve instead of revolve, it's time to take action now. Now. We need to develop this sense of urgency. And, you know, we often get comfortable in our misery and we procrastinate ending it. But one way to get motivated is to create this sense of urgency and break through that comfort level and, and then begin to consider the consequences of continuing in the negative situation and contrast that to the benefits of the future good that God has for us. We often need deadlines to create this necessary ending. Oh, but we often live in what I call later land, later land when it comes to end. We say, oh, I'll get around to it later. Oh, we say, I know I need to do it, but I'll do it later. I call it the round to it plan. Uh, when I get around to it, 
Oh, no, we need to plan the ending, act on it, and be prepared for the end. It may involve a conversation with someone. And we need to know the results that we want and we need and have goals in mind about how to do it. Out of fear to end our setbacks or this fear to change, we can begin to live in what is called learned helplessness. It's defined this way. When people feel that they have no control over their situation, they begin, may begin to behave in a helpless manner. This inaction can lead people to overlook opportunities for relief or change. This mindset, it's a mindset, mind you, <laughs> prevents people from moving forward. They adopt the belief that nothing works and and they begin to develop this negative and self-defeating mindset and behaviors. And these behaviors and feelings stem from our thoughts. And to change our behavior, we must change our feelings. And to change our feelings, we change our thoughts. And today, that process of changing our setbacks to flourishing comebacks is necessary. Identify negative thought patterns that contribute to, to your feelings of learned helplessness. Just know when they come into your mind, when you start to say, I can't do that, I can never do that. Oh, I don't know, I'll get around to it. Learn to identify those and then replace those with something that is more optimistic and rational and positive and proactive. This means we often have to continually and carefully analyze what we're thinking and challenge those ideas and dispute the negative thought patterns. And that will begin the process of change. Well, in life coaching, we focus on where we want, you want to be in contrast to where you are. And when you begin to focus on the best future self, you're better able to see how the current self needs to make some changes and create endings so that you can have a flourishing comeback. You know, I imagine that Abram could see the future self that God had promised him to become. As Abram left Ur and he set out to a foreign country, he was on a journey to have his greater good and to live. He would need to carry him was one that would remind him that every step he took was leading him either closer to God's plan or farther away from it. He was constantly encountering beginnings and endings, and so do we. He experienced changes and challenges all along the way. The ending of his life in his hometown was the beginning of a life that was blessed by God's promise of greater blessings in his future. God might be trying to move you from a place of comfort and security to a place of greater service and blessing. We do not want to miss God's greatest blessings for our lives because we're afraid. Because we're afraid of beginnings and challenges and changes and endings. See, a journey that God ordains for us will be full of all of those things. But in faith, we step out. And what will happen is we will experience a greater good and all for God's glory.
Oh, Heavenly Father, we come to you thankful that we have the stories of old, the stories of the Old Testament, the New Testament of faithful followers of you. Father, for whatever we're dealing with, whatever setback we're experiencing, and whatever endings we are dealing with, help us to look forward with hope and promise that you will guide us to move forward so that we will experience a greater good all for your glory. In the name of Jesus, your son. Amen.